Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's Andre. I'm here with Amy O'Donnell from the Attune Project. Um, Amy's from Newcastle University. And this is a project all about understanding pathways to amphetamine-type stimulant use. So drugs like speed, ecstasy, crystal meth. Um, bit of a weird kind of category of drugs, this, isn't it? It's, I mean, that, that's one of the, the kind of the findings that's coming out of the research. It is this umbrella group of substances. And, you know, people use them for very different functions um, so you find very different users with very different sort of social situations um, and that's one of the kind of challenges of our of our analysis but it's also what's making it a really fascinating piece of research. It was really striking in your presentation that you had these quotes from different types of users and you know there were kind of people who maybe we expect to be stimulant type users you know clubbers for example mm-hmm. but then there were also young mothers who were taking amphetamines because they wanted to get on with the housework so give us a sense of the sorts of people in the study we again it's this sort of heterogeneity in in the kinds of users the it, it surprised us the the sort of the different groups and populations that are using um, stimulant stimulant type substances for for very different reasons so yes we did have the more kind of stereotypical hedonistic clubbers um, use it in very specific kind of social situations parties festivals etc but we did find um, what I think is quite a novel sort of trend and and maybe underexplored particularly in the UK of of first-time mothers who are really struggling with um, what was often um, undiagnosed postnatal depression Um, but some of these women were also in problematic or violent relationships, um, their stimulant use was being facilitated by the fact that their partner was the dealer, um, you know, and it all made it extremely challenging for these women to um, to sort of decrease or, or stop using stimulants. Um, and yeah, I think that was one of the kind of more novel, interesting groups that we managed to um, unearth, if you like. And the discussion that we've had in the room over the last hour and a half has focused a little bit on the kind of traumatic life events and previous life events mm. of people that use stimulants. Do you want to say a bit about that? Yes. Um, I mean, again, as we've explained, we are at a very early stage with the analysis of the of the survey data, um, but we do know from the descriptives that we've sort of generated so far, and we also know from the stories that people told us, um, that it does look as though... Um, along with a lot of other kind of contextual factors that people whose use escalates to these kind of problem-dependent levels have often experienced a lot of childhood trauma um, in their lives, um, often with very limited support around them. Um, And these are people who then go on to live in situations that are extremely challenging. They've got unstable housing, unemployed, um, lack of sort of stable or supportive social family structures around them. Um, It also um, made it quite challenging to conduct many of the interviews. Um, You know, these were sort of structured tick box questionnaires. Um, As a researcher, you've got a thirst for all this amazing information, but you have to be very mindful for that for the participant you're asking about incredibly sensitive and difficult times in their life um, 
and for some of our kind of dependent users the the um the group one and two um we found that some of the questions were really triggering and we had to take some time out of the interview just to talk it through and give them some support and potentially signpost them to sort of further help after the interview um that's complex isn't it because you've got the potential for re-traumatizing people yeah but then you've also got the potential for starting people off on a road to some sort of recovery that's right um and we actually we had um an interviewer within the Newcastle team who was based within an organization called the People's Kitchen um, which support kind of homeless people often with complex multiple needs um, you know, primarily giving out food but there's also a lot of support and respite um, and on the one hand initially they were a little bit concerned that some of the questions could be um, triggering and challenging for participants but in the end, they actually found that this could be the first time people had had a chance to talk about their lives um, and that it often was it pretty therapeutic for them um, and it did give an opportunity for them to um, be directed to other services or support kind of to help them cope with some of these issues. Um, you know, some of these individuals have been using that particular service but had been quite isolated and not really engaging with staff. And then after the interviews, you know, they felt kind of they'd been noticed, they'd been seen, they were more visible. Um, so, yeah, there were, so there were challenges, but I think there were also kind of lots of really positive opportunities um, through the interviews. What about mental illness because I guess people often self-medicate with these sorts of drugs because they've got undiagnosed issues. We found that was one of the kind of most common themes across um, all countries that a lot of people particularly when you're talking about um, amphetamine use speed um, it was related to ongoing mental ill health um, and people continually talked about the challenges they have um, in accessing support for mental health when they're using stimulants and equally the challenge they have in getting support for their drug use when they have ongoing mental ill health so you know people were starting for very functional reasons to to help but because they were then had these kind of coexisting problem issues it was um, making it harder and harder for them to get any support um, and the problems were really kind of getting exacerbated and worsening over time yeah so Harry Sumner published a blog for me on the review that you wrote a few months ago the narrative review mm. um, when are we going to see some findings from this qualitative work that we can blog about we um, have a paper currently under review focusing on the um, UK findings only um, as a consortium we're trying to explore how best to combine the European findings which I think would be incredibly interesting um, there are some challenges in that however the countries themselves are you know incredibly diverse um, you know we've got the sort of the western northern Europe countries and then we've got kind of some central European countries um, and the socio demographics and the drug use patterns are very very different um, but we are exploring as a group how we can best use that information um, and get it out there in the public domain. Really brilliant work and um, it's really great that you've got this mixed methods approach for this. Yeah thanks a lot for sharing it with us. Um, I mean I'm, I'm passionate about um, how you can 
best use multiple methods to answer different research questions. Um, we had some queries today, you know, well, why would you talk to um, drug users about this, these kinds of issues? Why, why did you use that particular method? And I think um, from our review of the literature in this field, that's what's missing is the sort of the, the user's narrative, the user's perspective. And I personally don't see how you can really um, unpick how best to kind of support people without listening to their stories. Um, because um, as we've heard today, it's not no, so simple. You know, it, it's not that a specific personality type leads to a specific pattern of drug use. There are so many different social, environmental, individual factors that are, are kind of interweaving and interplaying over a person's life course. Uh, and you need to ask different questions in different ways to really get to the bottom of, of what's happening. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Amy. Thank you.